Listen, I have an idea. An idea. An idea. Whatever today has given you Five eleven headaches still call it Thanksgiving True Welcome to another edition of the Super Duper Pod. I'm your host, Rob Griggs, here with the super producer, as McMahon. Yes. <laughs> What's going on, Rob? How you doing, man? I'm good, my man. How about yourself? I'm doing very well. Man, nice hat, by the way. Thank you. Thank you. I've been getting a lot of compliments on it today. Shad Spellman. Yes, sir. But make sure, thank you for checking out the Super Duper Pod. We do not take your listens lightly. Make sure you follow us on Instagram, Super Duper Pod, S-U-P-A-D-U-P-A-P-O-D. And online at hp53productions.com for our mer her 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 hurts and additional content such as the Easy Smoke and GM podcast. So as you've been feeling good, man, feeling very had, good, had, man. Had, 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 a, had a nice week, right? Had a nice week. I did. I did. So, I did. so 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 even though I was gonna talk about it, Ezra made sure to remind me as my producer that he had a birthday this week, like I didn't know. Uh, and he I, it, 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 it is. You, you put it, you did, you did it on Facebook. You put one of those, you make a guy feel special kind of post. I sure did. So, <laughs> I sure did. I you didn't know forget. how to make a guy feel special. <laughs> and shout out, shout out to your sister. She's like, did somebody hack you? That, cr- that cracked me up. <laughs> but, yeah, hey, but man, but as you my main man, so I wish you, I hope you had a wonderful, did you enjoy your birthday, man? I did. I had a good, good, good birthday, man. Uh, Took off of work, chilled, yeah, chilled out, you know, uh, went and had a nice dinner with the wife. And uh, yeah, it was good. Good, man. Good, well, good time. Oh, good time. Well, happy, well, happy birthday to you, brother. So we'll, thank you. Thank you. We'll, we'll get some golf in in a couple of weeks. Yes, uh, sir. Sure. Yes, sir. Definitely. So but happy birthday to you, my man. And also happy retirement to my big sister, uh, Sharon, man. She retired 30 years, social worker. And uh, you know she's young; she's fifty six, man. But she's really she's been there, been doing this for thirty years, and been a social worker was a call. And so you know, wishing her all the best. I had to miss a party, man. I had to work, but uh, I heard it with her. They had a great time, and you know, my sister's moving into private practice. So you know, I'm oh, sure. so she not she not really retired. No, no, no. She's she's leaving the kids alone. Uh, but okay. she's trying okay. she's trying to deal with these adults. But uh, I, you know, again, I'm just happy for her, man. It's it's cool to do something for 30 years, man. So yeah, absolutely, happy, absolutely. Happy she's able to retire on her own terms. You know what I'm saying? I think I think that was pretty pretty cool. She and, she's re- she's retiring and then going to go going to go uh, work on some other stuff. You know, absolutely, so absolutely. Going, yeah, I like that. I like that. Yeah. So you know, I, I keep joking with. I'm like, so slick. This is how you can do your business. She's like, look, Robbie, Robbie, look, look, look. She says she's trying to work ass. No joke. She's trying to have. A, she want to have a suite, at her own her office. And she said, I'm working from seven to ten, two days a week. I said, dog, you're not what, what, what are we doing? What kind of business you gonna you have? Seven to ten. She's like, dog, I'm retiring. I told you, I'm not trying to do no kind of work. If it starts getting a little stressful, I'm out. So absolutely, you know, yeah. Hey, yeah, God, she deserves I guess, that. I ain't mad at her, man. Seven to ten? Yeah, I was like, you, you why did, wake up that early though? I mean, you know, she just want to get it out the way because she want to go drive to down down uh, to Oakbrook and go shopping. You know, what I'm see, saying? I would I would do like eleven to two, and then have the rest of the day. But you know, but I think you know, think about it. You done with just you done with whatever ten o'clock. Uh huh. You got a whole day to do whatever you want. True to, that, man. but you, I'm you just saying you got you got to wake I'm up. With you. At, you got to wake up at six. But she know her, her, her husband shout out to Mister T. You know, he he be waking up at like four in the morning. And, 
and he go, you know, I don't know if you've seen Mr. T in a while, he real swole. Like he okay. kind of do, he goes to the gym, he work on his right arm for two hours, you know what I'm saying? He's just this right arm by itself, two hours. Okay. Just, okay. So he uh, he be up early. So she's waking, she, you know, he wake up, she wake up with him, might as well stay up, go meet these clients and be done by 10, man. Okay. All right. I buy it. And also happy anniversary to my parents, man. So this week, so so a day after your birthday is my parents' uh, wedding anniversary. Oh, that's they, awesome! They've been married uh, fifty eight years. Wow, man. crazy, right? Wow, it's crazy. It's crazy. It's that's crazy. awesome. Like, like God willing, they'll see sixty years. So yeah, man, that that's that's wild. Again, I run a joke is my parents anniversary me and my sisters are old but it's like uh this is it's like they've really been married 58 years and i gotta say you know what i learned from my parents is that marriage is not a perfect thing i think sometimes we think marriage is this like everyday champagne popping rose petals on the floor as yet in the background type of thing and really it's it's like you find someone to do the boring stuff with you know what i'm saying some of the boring and the hard stuff with and I, I know just seeing my parents' marriage, you know, I only saw 43 years of it. It's just, it was, it's a lot of talking, you know what I'm saying? And it's a lot of learning the other person. And, uh, you know, and it's a lot of compromise, but not, not compromise in a negative way, just compromise. Like, what's best for for the house, right? What's best for us, you know? Like, I saw my dad definitely try to be, he, he gave my mother the, the last, whatever she needed. He took care of it, you know what I'm saying? It's like car she needed it fix it she got to fix for a boom she had to worry about that and vice versa like my pops can just come home and like put his bag down and that's it you know what i'm saying and it's like my mother gets she makes food and it's not like uh she felt like a slave or was like something's no. wrong what is this is what she wanted to do yeah for her husband so you know again i saw the saw the ups downs are good and the bad but i i admire my parents because 58 years is a very long time to do anything let alone stay married so i appreciate them and just thankful for them so on their anniversary they went to uh to my sister's retirement party number one apparently my dad wore a suit and uh all the women was trying to figure out who is this old young man y'all got up in here you know i know <laughs> my dad he had his ring on his pinky you know twiddling his fingers that's that's, that's his thing i, I you got to see it to <laughs> to be effective it's hilarious when he does it man and they went to the eye doctors that's what you do when you're uh in your fit in, in, yeah, in your 50th year sure. marriage make you know, sure your eyesight was right make sure the vision is straight man yeah, i hear you i hear you sure and, what, <laughs> and so and so we got we got a great guest today before we get to that as i don't know if we talked about this man i mentioned on a few episodes ago that i had to get an allergy test because uh you know i was like i didn't know what's wrong i said these quote-unquote science infections yeah. found out that they was, I'm allergic to something, so I got the results. As so, I don't know if, did we talk about this? No, we haven't. I, I'm, I'm embarrassed. To say it. I'm allergic to grass. Like, yep, to grass. So, and you want to go play golf in in a couple <laughs> weeks? So, so they gave me medicine. I got I got to take Zyrtec before we go. I got to take these shots. So I take these nasal sprays. So, so what? So what happens if you if you uh, encounter grass? So if I get into my, it's like I, I'll have a really bad cold. Like, so imagine when you just have a science infection, like for real, yeah. and you like, you just can't stop sneezing. Your eyes are just swollen up. Your ears is just bad. That's what happens to me. Right. So they told me what I got to take. Cause I was like, when they say, I said, I said grass. I'm like, you mean like weed? It was like, no, nah, like grass. You said like weed. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, what? Where are we rock with that stuff like that? And they were like, nah, man. It was like grass. So, I, said, bro, 
was like, I got to mow the lawn tomorrow, bro. I was going like, to say, you can't grass? mow your lawn anymore. I was like, he's like, yeah, wear a mask. I was like, damn, I got to mow my lawn and my parents' lawn tomorrow, fam. Yeah, you got to hire somebody. So, 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 you know, I, I, I tell my mom, shout out to West Side, she was sweet about it. But I, I told my mom, and she just laughed and said, you might as well be allergic to people. I said, thanks, mom. I, I appreciate the character. <laughs> Call my big sister. She says, so you're allergic to the world. I said, again, again, I'm glad everybody's giving me the support. Called Xanthia and Jasmine. They just laughed at my face. So, you know, four women I love dearly just laughed at me completely, man. But no, it was a... Uh, so you had to you had a get out of uh get out of cutting grass free card for the longest and just didn't know it. Had no clue, man. Grass so grass and dust. I'm allergic to man. Okay. All right. And so and so like when I cut the grass now, I gotta wear a mask. I have uh again, it's it's these nasal sprays. I have a prescription nasal spray that I gotta take that is horrible, but you know, I gotta do it. And and that young Zyrtec, so you know. Uh, I got to watch what the beverages we have uh, when we golf because I be <laughs> on some medicine in my system, man. So, yeah. Let's see grass. I'm not a doctor, but I think you'd be all right with just Zyrtec. Hey, man. Hey, listen, just as long as you're driving. I'll nah, be all cool. Right. Right. I'll be cool. So, as always, we have our, one of our favorite guests on the Super Duper Pie, uh, the one and only Dr. Williams. We're here talking about three years since the protest of George Floyd's murder back in 2020. That's crazy. It's crazy, right? And it feels like it feels like that was like ages ago. Yeah. yeah. But it's three years. And, and you know, and Dr. Williams and I talked a bit about just what has changed and kind of the tenor of the conversation three years ago and kind of how light it is and quiet it is now. And, and and Dr. Williams made a, a very some very strong points. He even corrected me on a couple of things, which I appreciate, but you guys would definitely check it out. So here it is, one and only Dr. Williams. With all around the world, the world. As always, I love to see my brother, my friend, uh, the the professor of the Super Duper Pod, the one and only Dr. Dwayne Williams. How you doing, sir? Fantastic, baby boy. How you doing? I'm good, my man. Always good to see you. Yeah, good I to know, be seen. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking for my 1619 shirt, man. It's coming right there. Yes. Look, what, what color you want? You know, my signature color is orange, but I can get you any color you want. Hey, Just man, you know, a, a nice young blue. That'll do me. That'll okay, do me well. I got you. I got you. Now you're gonna be you're gonna create a lot of jealousy. So I don't know. I'm gonna yeah, extra. Yeah, I, 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 I'll just wear it to the gym or something. You know, just okay. wear it. My, wear, I wear it when I do the pod. There we go. There, there it is. Go. That's record. good. Yeah, that's good. Good. I like got that. You. Got you, Dunsky. So, so, world, got you on the show because, uh, you know, it's obviously the anniversary of Brother Floyd, as, as my sister Sharon says, his murder was yeah. three years ago around Memorial Day weekend. Absolutely. But the reason I wanted to have you on this time is because around this time three years ago, the world was full of, like, remorse, full of constant protest, right, because of the murder of George Floyd. And I thought, you know, yeah, the 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 time he was killed, yes, that's an important time. But I remember, I remember vividly that time three years ago, people were protesting nonstop, right? Like, yes. I mean, you know, it was when I think back on it now, how the grocery stores were blocked up with certain ways. You couldn't get, you had they had made it like one way, you had to drive in and get there. Yeah. But I, you know, I wanted to reach out to you just to talk about like 
that time and now like what's changed because that was a large movement you know was it a movement or was it a moment and i definitely want to get into that today but before we do i just want to kind of read through a couple of things so three years ago was the height of the pandemic uh we talked about you know again jokingly grocery shopping with hazmat suits three years ago remember that man that was wild uh Companies were openly saying Black Lives Matter. Remember writing writing yeah, letters at the time. Like it was, I mean, you couldn't look everywhere on Instagram, everywhere, yeah. uh, every every store had a Black Lives Matter sign boldly and proudly, right? It was almost like if you didn't put one out, what you want, fam? What are you trying to say? What, what, what are you trying to say? Kind of Billy calling the question. And they were investing in the movement. Right. The NBA, right? Protesting. Because I think. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, the NBA was protesting around the time. Race discussions were on major channels every night. I mean, full yeah. on, uh, town, you know, town yeah, town halls just on CNN, MSNBC, right? Just say they, they knew they had to have it. I mean, events could be ignored. Juneteenth really became it was galvanized around like this should be a celebrated holiday. Mm-hmm. Like that was really all that was happening three years ago. And I was looking at thehill.com. They were talking about, you know, still some things that had gone on since then. Uh, but it's like African-Americans are still more likely to get killed by the police. Um, now, police accountability, that's kind of the thing that was in question. So uh, before that, right, it was almost like you think of Rodney King and other other instances, the police would get away or just not. Or there may, there may be some trial of sorts, but, you know, magically they get off on a technicality. This right. was kind of like the first real accountability we saw. At, you know, with with this kind of instance, and then you know the, those four officers were um, indicted. Then in twenty twenty one, Minneapolis police chief resigned. Yeah. Uh, more than thirty states have passed about forty oversight reform laws. Uh, defund the police. Remember that be, that was a popular I, I term. I, remember. I, I actually I actually think you know side on that's a poorly. Well, that's probably the marketer in me. We could came up with something else, but it, it was more about really the the funding all of the funding that goes to policing some of that money can go to some alternative policing right i i i I, I want i'll uh, interrupt you and say this don't fall don't fall prey to the fallacy that you know of course imaging and marketing matters but there was no there is no phrasing there's no clever phrasing that would have necessarily brought us to a different point than we are now I, I, you know, that I know that there began, people got nervous and their issues about defunding the police and what does that mean? Yeah. But, you know, there's a recent book about when did the, the I, I, I got to find this book for you. It's about, you know, the history of when the police became untouchable as a, as a, a, a source of public criticism, right? Mm. So part of what happened and what, what I think is really important is two things. Always start with Baldwin. History is not principally about the past. It is about the pre- it is literally present in all that we do. And so in that moment, that crucial moment, it's a turning point because there is a different level of accountability. And since then, as you walk us through that kind of narrative, the difference is that those people who resisted those change have just outflanked those of us who have a more pro- progressive vision about accountability for police. Mm-hmm. Um, the whole idea that people who are running for president have turned the idea of being woke into kind of a curse word and it needs to be reclaimed, right? So yeah. it's like the woke crowd. Here's the thing. I always tell people when they talk about canceling and woke, anti-wokeness, what I always tell them is the word I would use is accountability. At what level is it reasonable 
to expect some level of accountability. And what would that sound like? Right. Mm-hmm. So if I were talking to someone who was um, politically different from me on the right side, I asked them, what's the phrase you use for the systemic uh, outcomes for those people who are black, who are brown, who are poor, who end up there? That hasn't changed because generally speaking, there's a general disdain against poor people. Look at the debt ceiling conversation. Look at how they want to put in these new, they want to they attempted to put in these new uh, kind of litmus tests for people to get access to resources because ultimately, the idea that we should defund the police was a question about redistribution of resources. And that was an absolute third rail. So you could call it what you want to. And of course, politicians don't want to, they want to come out and say, hey, I'm, a, I'm for the police. No, you're for good policing. You're for safe policing. You're for equitable policing. That's what I wanted the people who are leading us on the left, the Democrats, the Joe Biden. I want them to say, no, I'm not going to give up defund the police. I'm going to say this is about this is about resources, and I'm not going to be comfortable leading the country as a president, as a mayor, as a city council member, until I believe that the resources have been distributed in a way that give every Chicagoan, every Washingtonian, every American a chance to engage with the police when they're at their best rather than at their worst. So the reason that we are at the place we are you know, a thousand days after George Floyd's murder is because that's that's the battleground we lost. The terrain of struggle is, do we want to redistribute resources in a way that remedy inequality, that address those issues that came up by, it wasn't just black folks, it wasn't just poor folks, it was young people who were, you know, uh, you know, giving us this, what I call the third reconstruction around these issues. Hmm. And we lost that because we thought, okay, we got rid of Trump and People start saying, mm, I'm nervous about defunding police. I don't want to, because, you know, there's a rise in gun violence. There's a rise in crime. So the, 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 the narrative became one about, if you say you defund the police, are you saying that you want somebody to come and kill black people or kill, you know, uh, undermine, you know, suburban stability? No, we're still saying, the, 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 we didn't stay on message. The message was the same. We needed resources to ensure that all citizens got access, were equally protected. And we have strong data which says that's not the case. We never and we never we never gave up on that. So you know we yielded to that, and then it became we're counterpunching. So yeah, you know we're trying to explain what defund the police is. We're trying to rephrase it and rename it. But all that does is spin our energies away from the central question, yeah. right? You could you could say call it defund the police or call it redistributing resources, right? Uh, uh, you know call it whatever you want to call, call it equitable equitable policing, right? Yeah. I want to be able to see a police officer, and when I see them, I want to have the same feeling that my counterparts who are more wealthy, who live in other residential spaces, who live on the Gold Coast, who live in Northwest Washington, I want to be able to encounter police like that. And and then point to, this is what good policing looks like, this is what bad policing looks like, and you can see the consequence of it. But I'll end with this, but when you see someone who has murdered Brianna yeah. get another police job, yeah. Okay, then people start to say, well, wait a minute, we did hold him accountable. That guy was actually held accountable. The police officers in Minneapolis were held accountable. But it wasn't about those individual victories. It was about the general idea that the narrative was being changed, was being pushed by young people, by progressive people. And the the phrase like Black Lives Matter, Black Lives have always mattered. And what I tell people is, but they've always mattered at the same level. And even though we had a spike in that urgency, it's just actually settled down to its historic pattern, wow. which is that we've had moments where there's been an uptick in 
we didn't call it Black Lives Matter, but in the modern phrase of civil rights movement in different moments, we've had people who push back against those issues, but then it settles into that rhythm. That's a historic pattern. But because we're worried about the past, what happened three years ago, rather than what are we presently doing? So three years later, Congress was able to occupy issues about the debt ceiling, but we still have, we, we walk around and tiptoe around literally the graveyard of George Floyd around police reform because we don't want to redistribute those resources. And in fact, save my hometown of Chicago, where a progressive wins the mural race, most people are on their heels and trying to infuse more resources in policing. It's absurd. It's actually absurd, yeah. right? So no, that's what I, I would say about it. And I appreciate that, man, because, you know, and you, you, I, I think I think you are absolutely right. Like when you do as the way you described it, because it's not that I took. So from my standpoint, it was like I knew what the term meant. And my my concern was people didn't people just weren't getting what it meant. Right. So it's like, right. how can we get the people to understand it? But I see your point, though. Right. It's I think like, people are also doing something different. Right. I, I think that they were purposely co-opting it because they they were trying to. Yeah, you know, stop the momentum of accountability. This is about police accountability. There is no one who's going to publicly say that the murder of George Floyd is okay. Not now, but they might say, well, what did the person do in the past? We didn't have video. We didn't have those kind of things. So the image making process was different. That is, we thought they did it, but now we saw it. So yeah. that shifted. And so, of course, there are people who genuinely thought, okay, defund the police, what do you really mean? That's a legitimate question for debate. But when I explain it to you, you should then say, oh, well, if you mean that, if you mean that we should have more equitable policing and we should take steps to put in systems and structures that ensure our citizens to, that are they're protected, I'm all for that. And when you ask people those questions, they say that. If you use the phrase defund the police, it's been corrupted. So now it doesn't mean that. Or if you say, what does it mean to be woke? It means that you believe that all Americans should have access to resources, that they should be, they should have access to the, their full citizenship. That's what being a woke is. I want you to be aware of that. I want you to understand that the reason that we see brown people, black people, and others who are challenging is we're trying to raise awareness. Being woke is about raising awareness so we can have an honest debate about how we want to deal with resources. That's what a woke is. I'm not sleeping. Maybe if you were asleep, okay, if you were asleep, you might have missed it. But because I'm a citizen and I care about you and I'm going to assume good intentions, I'm going to wake you up. And when I wake you up, I'm assuming that once you have the information that you need, you will then understand, you will dovetail your understanding with mine. But that's not what happened, because at the end of the day, I would argue that ideas about white supremacy are so entrenched, people are prepared to say, I understand what you mean, but now I'm going to quote, if woke means that, I don't know if I want to do that. I don't know if I want to redistribute the resources in those way. I don't know if I want to pay more taxes or make sure that people can be as safe as I am. I don't know if that's the case. And what I mean by that is because you're questioning at every angle. I can't teach history in Florida or Oklahoma or in other places because children might become aware of what's going on and they might then ask questions about how to remedy it. So how would a child know that she should question policies around gun violence or criminality or education if I can't, if, if I'm criminalized the very act of informing you, of waking you up? Like that is the perverse nature of it. So these phrases awoke, uh, you know, uh, you know, issues about, uh, you know, defunding police. They're semantical debate that have real policy consequences. And that's what the issue is. So if we don't talk about it because we can silence it and it never gets there, that's the only way they can win. Because when you ask people those same questions, 
in a way that it doesn't have those buzz phrases, I would say, you know, the research has shown that a great majority of people say, I'm, I'm fine with that. I'm, yeah. Especially when you look at along age line, around regional line, people are okay with that. It's when you start politicizing and say, well, I don't want that book, I don't want that book to be read because it might make my child, uh, it might cause a dissonance in my child. Of course it is. It should cause a dissonance. It's a deeply troubling thing to live in a country as great as ours that has a long and sustained history of racial violence against particular people. There's no other way to get around it. There's no way to do that. We can make it in nice children books. We can make it age appropriate. But ultimately, a kid often asks, did they really do those things? Did they really do that in 2023 and in 1963 and in, in, in 1923 and 1893? Well, if we don't tell them that, then they think it's just an aberration, that George Floyd is an aberration. But he's actually not. George Floyd is a part of a long pattern that you and I know is not new. But if we can't talk about it, how would our children or our allies get comfortable with making decisions that get a different result? And I would argue strongly that there is a there is a significant minority of people who don't want a different result and it's that it's that resistance against a different result that's the problem it isn't the language it isn't the phrasing this isn't a this isn't a marketing problem this is about this is about history and about acknowledging the accountability and that's and people don't want to do that that's a heavy weight to carry yeah because with uh mayor johnson's when he was running for mayor right i mm -hmm. guess he did an interview radio interview some years ago probably as a lot of people did and he he was like defund the police yada yada you fast forward his opponent was using that in his campaign like you know say he wants to defund the police and make not a safe city right vote for right. vote for me and there was a few instances where wouldn't well, i mean he ended up winning but it was he kind of not i wouldn't say he, but he never backpedaled but it's kind of was like using different words about defund the police because right, he kind of right. felt like because, he had to because politics is about winning listen yeah I, I i work at the premise working for many politicians and for a long time i worked for lots of politicians who believed in the thoughts i believed in and the ideas that but they lost and one time one of my mentors told me hey remember this about politics politics isn't just about ideas it's about winning okay yeah, yeah. and so if you understand that you can't, you shouldn't win at any cost, you shouldn't do things that are criminal or unethical, but you need to understand who are you talking to, right? And what is the audience? What is the audience going to take away from your intention? If you never get a chance to articulate your message like the current mayor of Chicago does, you don't know what the outcome will be, right? When mm -hmm. I look at uh, Paul Vallis running and, and, and using those kind of tapping into those meaning systems that are about criminality, and people saying, well, I'm a little nervous about that because we do have issues around gun violence and those things in Chicago. But I told a police officer on Sunday, I said, listen, I'm from Chicago. You look in the places where the gun violence is happening regularly, it's in the same historic places. It is disproportionately in the west side of Chicago. It is disproportionately in Ward 7 and 8 in D.C. You just fly in those places and there's an intersection in those places. And I always say the same thing that people have been saying for many years. To my knowledge, there are no gun, no gun manufacturers on the west side of Chicago. Yeah. Where do those guns come from? Yeah. And you make and if you see places where guns are increasingly more available in Indiana and Wisconsin, as all of us know, or in Virginia and Maryland, here, what do you think is going to happen? If you tell people that they're unsafe and the way you keep yourself safe is to get access to, uh, you know, personal uh, arms, when we know, in fact, they, that hasn't stopped school violence. It hasn't had violence in those places. So it's, I always tell people this. If, if your argument was working, then we should see a decline 
in um, crime because we've seen an increase in access to guns. If the idea of getting access to guns is going to decrease crime, then my argument is the same. Then where's the decline in crime? There is no, if, if, if it's about access to guns, we have more, we, we have as easy of access as you can get in yeah. most places. You know, you have and, more guns than people. And so you kind of already answered one of my questions just about like what's changed in three years. And, and just based upon your, your comment, it seemed like three years ago, we were open to having this conversation honestly and openly and out loud, right? Saying the words need to be said, but it seems like now, like you said, people are more trying to put it in a box or, or, or not trying to be as forward with the conversation, right? About redistributing the funds. Cause it's like, well, we need the police. We're not going to get rid of the police. Yada, yada, you right. know, that kind of stuff. Because three right. years ago, it's like, what, how can we really change this? Cause this can't happen again. Right. And now it feels like, like you said, and I think I, you put it perfectly. It's wild, as, but you were right. We're just coming back to the historical base of what had already been happening. We're going back to the norm. We're going back to, we're reverting back to the norm. I'm not a, uh, a mathematician, but the mathematicians were telling me we're reverting back to the norm. And here's the thing. Public has a certain patience. Mm. Okay. I've argued over and over, look at anything I've written. History is an image making process. What we come to see, we often believe about a group or people or an event. And when we saw what we saw about George Floyd, people came to believe some different things about the role of police, and they were willing to do that. But guess what? When you look at the data, I think Washington Post keeps a track of all police killings across the country. If it's true that it hasn't increased, here's what has decreased. The public patience and the public's willingness and appetite for seeing those images, right? Because here's the thing. If Black Lives Mattered as much as we thought they did at the height, then we'd be okay with seeing it. In the same way, when we have a long wars, like for a while, people are interested. When you see images on TV about wars or about warfare, that changes the public perception. And when you don't see them, people think, oh, it must have got better or different, or maybe it's not as bad as I thought. And again, that's media, but that's public imaging. And we have as many platforms, we have more platforms now we've ever had in human history. But the public's patience has worn down because they've shifted, right? We've shifted. And that shift is a really about, do we want to sustain that conversation or not? And the argument is we're mixed. We don't want to sustain it. We yeah. don't want to sustain it because sustaining it takes us to a place that requires us to make a different decision. And those decisions aren't going to be made. They aren't about resource. They aren't about more taxes. This is really about what I call public will to sustain a conversation about the value of black lives. And because that has historically not been the case, that we value black lives, at the height is a distortion from the reality. It's, it's just, we, we just had a distorted moment, right? Uh, there have been other black men who were brutally killed in the same way as George Floyd. And they just didn't get the public perception, the media attention, the public discourse didn't change. But ultimately, it fades, it, it, fade, it fades, the, the, the interest has faded and people pivot to something else and they'll say, oh, well, they're tired or oh, it's the economy. But black lives still matter at the same level for most black people. So I didn't become less valuable in three years. You didn't become less valuable. We became more valuable as black men, but the public interest in our value did change. And that translates into at best a stalemate about policy and at worst, what I would call a distraction, um, you know, what I, you know, a, a distraction about the, what we're really talking about. 
wokeism, uh, you know, all these buzz phrases that get people, that draw people attention. They're just, they're really just red herrings. They're, they're designed to distract. I can't think of a quote from Toni Morrison, but Toni Morrison had a, a quote about that racism is designed to distract you <laughs> from the issues. Because you're talking about wokeism and you're talking about police, uh, you know, you're talking about uh, defunding the police, then you're actually not talking about what the issues are. And that is the nature of, that's how sinister white supremacy is. It changes the narrative and forces those of us who are trying to push in one direction to counter counterpunch because you don't want to be seen as the person who's against the police. I'm against the police if they are uh, habitually and structurally killing black people. I am against that. And I will publicly say that over and over, no matter what the moment is. But some are like, well, you know, if you say that, some people are going to take it the wrong way. How can I take, what other way can I take the fact that there has still been a systemic killing of poor people, Since brown then. people, indigenous people, and of course, black people. We, we're the metaphor for the other issues. So it's not that black lives matter more than indigenous or brown or poor people. It's that... It's just too much evidence available to ignore it, but people happily do it because, again, we don't see as many Black Lives Matter sign in those places, but no, but they, they do matter, right? Yeah. You know that, just objectively. Yeah, and that's, and that's the thing. It's like, you know, I, I always wondered when it happened, and, it, you know, the pod, it's, it's evidence we used to talk about all the time. As and I just kind of kept track of people ain't saying Black Lives Matter no more. They screaming like they was before, and we, you know, that's when our show first started. And so yeah. that, that's why that that's why we always talk about it every year because I mean we that's literally was our one of our first episodes was point. about that, and so it was more like I thought right this would be different right because I think outside of Rodney King and things like that this was this was like the one that this is even I really remember it was like mm -hmm. okay the world has stuck with you officially stopped like. We this stuff got to change. It's like, like you said, lo and behold, we just ended up at the historical base. I'm gonna keep using that, man. Just, but that's that is it's sad, but it's unfortunately true, right? Because right. again, this is this this it's an easy question. What happened in three years? We went back to the norm, right? Mm -hmm. Where and everything is cool. And also, one thing I noticed, and you, and you can let me know if you agree, is it started to become, uh, it. it it became less of a social service and more of a profit, some something to what? profit from, right? Like I, we we joke, we had one episode, we joked about it, but we made it clear at the end how people were uh, securing the the rights to to Juneteenth, trademarking Juneteenth. They yeah. had a Ju Juneteenth strawberry soda, yeah. Yeah. right? Yeah, I remember so, that. I about that. I think right. Yeah, we, we talked about it too, and it's just like yeah. it's like wow, this got this was this this is what people are doing to the point now there was an article about some company that had a Juneteenth poster and they had white people on it and they were right. we, want, we want to make Juneteenth more inclusive it's like dog what are you what what you doing but it's like hey we profited now it's ours no, because I was, listen that's true of all of them because we live in a capitalist society so sure. we got that's true for Juneteenth it's yeah. true for Black Lives Matter it's true for Pride Month and this is what I would tell you this is the reason every time I get to a moment and I get this moment I don't know, once a year, I start thinking, maybe I should retire. I should stop teaching this. I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm, you know, it's not. And then I had a moment like I had, and this is, goes to your point. I taught a group of middle schoolers. I said, what comes to mind when you think about Juneteenth? And they talk about different things. And they gave some, you know, they hinted at it, and they knew some things about it. I said, here's the thing. I've taught you about the Emancipation Proclamation, which freed the slaves that lived in Confederate states. I've taught you about the 13th Amendment that ended slavery. And Juneteenth is the in-between. It's field order number two. 
See, that's the thing that people don't realize. Like, they're talking about Juneteenth. Hey, Juneteenth is the in-between the moment when those people who lived in enslaved spaces in the South, you know, were offered the opportunity or, you know, pledged to, lead, to, to get freedom. And then the 13th Amendment is what actually ends slavery. But in between is this two-year thing where people in Texas find out what they want. Okay. But we don't ever tell people, hey, listen, this is really about communication. Can you imagine if we had Twitter or some other platform and two years later you found out something that you reasonably should have known about your liberty, about your humanity, about your citizenship? That's what it's about. And it's why Juneteenth, Black Lives Matter, uh, uh, you know, uh, defunding police all go together because they're all fundamentally about the fact that there is a delay, a genuine effort to thwart the exercise of citizenship by black citizens. That's what it's about. Juneteenth is about that. Uh, Co-opting Juneteenth shirts or pride shirts or Black Lives Matter. They're all about the same thing. At the end of the day, I'm more comfortable commodifying your humanity than actually giving you access to it. Like I would be, I'm perfectly fine saying, hey, my bad, I meant to tell you that the president had, had told you that you were free if you were living in Texas in 1863, but I waited to June 19th, 1865, and my bad. And here's the thing, I read for the, for the children, the students, I had them read. I said, it's a, it's a handwritten note. It says, hey, you're free, but you got two options. Number one, you're not going to get, you don't, don't come anywhere near military facilities. And you still have to work for those people for wages. And we're not going to give you anything. It's like Eric Foner said, we gave you freedom, but we, what we did was we gave you nothing but freedom. We didn't give you access to land. Yeah. We didn't get access to resources. We didn't get access to citizenship right. So again, Black Lives Matter, pride, you use the phrase, whatever's been co-opted, because ultimately, your citizenships doesn't matter. Commodifying this, I get rich, all right? But giving you, emancipating you, and liberating you, and open up the opportunity, it costs me something. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna pay for you to have liberty. I'll have you pay me to wear this shirt. But I'm not gonna actually pay a cost, right? I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna say, hey, I acknowledge that I've profited from prejudice, and that comes at a cost, and I have to pay that cost. You got a reparations? I don't have the reparations when you give me the very thing that I'm genuinely and authentically uh, and legit, you know, I'm, I'm entitled to. I'm actually, I was entitled to my freedom and you delayed it. But instead, you want to tell me, hey, here's the red RC. Here's the red Coke. Here's the, here's the, I'm going to show that I'm for police by giving, by, by raising more money for, uh, uh, you know, for police officers. But I'm not going to do anything about making sure that the structures are in place that police get train in the best ways to ensure that they're at their best and that and not at their worst when they engage because i'll say it for the third time as long as we're unwilling to give a free passage a clear passage to the things that make people fully human and citizens we're going to have these george floyd moments every three or five yeah, or yeah. ten years yeah. right because that's the pattern it's not, we, 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 you and I will have this conversation five or 10 years from now, and we'll say, remember when we talked about George Floyd? Yeah. And if yeah, we're lucky, know. there'll be a shift. But if we're, if history shows us right, we're going to be more, not discouraged, we're going to be like, I kind of know how this is going to go. I know how it's going to go. So our children may not understand George Floyd as much as we did in 1991 around Rodney King or in those earlier periods. Right. But, but we can say, 
you don't need to understand Rodney King to understand the pattern. Okay, so you don't need to understand anything about Juneteenth to understand that there's a general pattern which says that if you are a poor person, if you are a woman, if you are marginalized or viewed as marginalized in any way, it's okay if a small segment of people deny your citizenship and humanity. That's white supremacy. That's patriarchy. That's racism. It isn't a boogeyman. It's a thing which says Dwayne and Robert are less human and I'm okay with that. And the reason I know I'm okay with it is because look at the result. Uh, when I'm when I get in, when I get in encounter with the police, I don't feel I don't feel more safe now because right because the police were held accountable because that was the exception. It wasn't the rule. So, so this, it, it's the exception to give black people access to those things. It is not the rule. We're still not comfortable with black humanity. So the issue is is not that black lives matter. It's that black humanity is not for sale. That's the issue. It's not for sale. So you and you kind of touched on this a bit because on that same article on thehill.com, you guys uh, just looked at that today. Just about again, they talked about three years ago what's what's happened since then. Because talked about like how Boston, Minneapolis, and LA have moved millions millions of dollars uh, to like to community investment and incarceration alternatives. Nineteen cities will reportedly pay protesters who were injured during those. Pro, uh, Police and police brutality protests. California has a reparations task force, uh, but then you know even President Biden signed an executive order for federal law enforcement that banned chokeholds, restricted no knocks, mm -hmm. yada yada yada. Yeah. But then you get to this kind of the points you said. These little things happen, but still can't get the federal law in place, right? To like the House passes it, but the the George Floyd Justice and Police yeah. Act, right? So, so to your point, so why is it? And you kind of touched on it a bit, but why do you think it's so difficult for like we can? They, all these small things can't be done in these states, so on and so forth. But this overarching policy that could, you know, move some things in in a, in a more positive direction goes through the House and then gets stalled in the Senate. I mean, look. I teach history and I teach young people because I ultimately want to say, if I give you the tools of citizenship, you might get a different result, a better result than I've been able to get. And the reason that, that you see that stalling is most people don't understand how bills work. They don't understand how laws are passed. They think, well, okay, we were all for that. And we, I thought the house was going forward. And you see that one individual on the Senate side can block, can block um, the passage of a bill that most people want. Right. So part of it is just elevating the, the public's understanding about is your intention being made manifest in the policy change. So you ask most people, you look at the, the polls or any kind of way that you can objectively look at it. The reason that we don't have a result where we're going to get small things done is that a. Uh, people don't understand how bills are ultimately passed. B, the narrative change, right? People are fighting over those things. And we began to say, first, it was Black Lives Matter. Then it was like, well, you know, these are Black people and Black Lives Matter activists are seen as uh, in the same vein as the insurrectionists who tried to overturn the government in January 6th. There's a whole debate about those things. So when people are engaged in those kind of discourse, it's hard to move legislation, even on the best of circumstances. But when you have a divided country like we do, where there's a genuine mistrust about the intentions of everybody involved, you're not going to be able to move, um, you know, policy through 
two chambers of Congress, when you, most people don't even know how that happens. They don't know that you need to have not 51 votes, but you need to have 66 votes. You have to be able to, you have to have something like culture. You don't understand what filibustering is and how somebody can do those things. So that is hard work. And there are people who are doing that hard work. They really are. But it, it, it slows up the acting with urgency. Right. So you can act with urgency if there's a financial crisis or a military crisis. But when there was a public policy crisis, uh, again, about the citizenship rights of people who are historically marginalized, that's just not going to be seen as, um, as 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 important. And frankly, there are pockets of the country that don't see that as an important thing to to act on. They're just not going to do it. They're not going to do it like there. There are people who do not. Who do not view the events of three years ago. They didn't see it as a problem, and so it's less of a problem now, right? And they're running for president. I mean, that's what DeSantis is running on. That's what Mike Pence is going to run on. They're all running on this idea that at the end of the day, I'm here to protect the things that you feared might have been undermined if someone else gets a big, a different result. And so that's what the language is about. That's what uh, the governor of Virginia, Glenn, uh, you know, is talking about. Like, hey, I'm going to protect your kid in school. I'm going to empower parents to uh, act in ways that undermine the credibility of teachers and leaders of schools. Um, I'm going to protect it with books. I'm going to question the value of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Now, the idea that people would do that three years after George Floyd is perverse. But again, they're saying, I'm protecting the fears that you have about change. I'm, a, I'm going to be the guardian against transformation. And I'm going to do it under the guise of saying it's unfair for me. It's unfair for you to make my child uncomfortable because that might lead to a transformation that I don't want. And I'm in control of that. Everybody thinks I'm a key decision maker by my family. That language works with people, but it doesn't work with policy. So I don't want someone, people say, I don't want someone to tell me what I should do with my family, but I'm happy to tell people about what they should do with theirs. I'm perfectly fine with that. So I want to wrap up with this and I appreciate you as always, man, because you yeah. just have you as always man you lead, you teach me something like what what from the last few years like can we hold on to right to move us forward into the next three or four years as we you know we still have pods about this we still try to like you said not necessarily worry about making people comfortable but just letting people know this is what we mean and this is why we mean it like what's something not necessarily what's what's been good but, or what's something that we can hold on to in the last few years has happened. We can go, okay, this is what we're going to stick to or kind of, kind of maintain to keep us moving forward. Listen, uh, my daughter, Jamaica, uh, teaches me something all the time. What she, what she reminded me of is people think it's a small thing, but sustaining the conversation. She always says, you know, daddy, just saying the name and not just the name of the people, but the fact that we're still talking about George Floyd, you think, Oh, it passed. But here's the thing. We have to sustain the conversation because the only way ultimately we can ultimately fail if we don't if we don't want immediate gratification, if we actually want long term systemic change, we have to sustain the conversation. We have to say the names of the things that we think are important and sustain public discourse about it, not get distracted. And I would say this, the thing that encourages me the most about what happened as the Black Lives Matter uh, movement emerged as the kind of new, what I call postmodern phrase of civil rights movement uh, and human rights movement is that young people, you, I saw a shift, a generational shift that people were not, it, it, you know, people may be turning their attention or maybe distracted by some of these phrases we've talked about, 
but not people of, of, a, of an earlier generation, not, not younger people. They're willing to talk about those things. They're willing to talk about trans rights. They're willing to talk about uh, black. They're willing to have conversations about race that are transformative in ways that wouldn't have happened. And I didn't think that. In 2020, I thought, man, I'm, 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 I'm saying these things. I'm teaching these lessons. And they're resonating with 20 or 30 or 40% of my students. But then I heard young people phrasing and thinking about things that rec recognize the shift. They weren't, they weren't tied up in these kind of black-white binaries. They opened up the possibility of what it could be. We went from uh, Chicano to Hispanic to Latinx to, you know, like every all these identities that were socially constructed in very narrow ways have been broadened. And when you broaden them, then you actually weaken the things that sustain the the attempts to deny people's humanity. So what, what I would say, the thing that really encourages me, and I think that we should continue to push on, is say the names, talk about the issues. Don't get tired of them and realize that you can take a breath. It's like when you were swimming in Lake Michigan. Here's the thing. It was a half mile. It took you longer to get there than you wanted. But here's the thing. You got there. Okay, you got there. And I'll tell people all the time, I've ran many marathons. Very few people ever ask me my time. They always ask me, did you finish? finish. They always ask me, did, did you finish? You ran, you ran a marathon. Did you finish? I did finish. Sometimes it was four hours. Sometimes it was four and a half hours. Sometimes it was three hours and 31 minutes. Okay. I'm not a fast runner. Sustaining the effort. That's the thing we take away. Okay, can't have a retrospective in which young people and old people are having different conversations. Today, when we say George Floyd, there's a there's a cross-generational conversation that people are nodding. It is it's not like we're listening to R and B, but the people listening to R and B don't understand hip hop or vice versa, or we're listening to cool jazz, but really you don't understand trap. No. Everybody in that group understands what the conversation is and they want to listen to that music and they want to sustain the conversation. That is a genuine victory because the other side is hoping, well, that young people will quit and that old people like me are going to die and get tired and retire. We can't do that. We got to continue. I started our conversation with this. It is my goal to physically run and intellectually run a marathon every decade I'm on this earth. I'm in my sixth decade. I plan on being 90 running and I'm gonna run as fast as I can and I'm gonna make sure I pick up people along the way. That's what we gotta do. It's no other way to do it. And remember, you got out of that cold water in Lake Michigan and you, you sustained yourself and you finished the race. I never asked you, well, how long did it take? Yeah. I just know you finished the race. Yeah, man. You know? Well, we're gonna we're gonna wrap up with that, man. I cause I yeah. I, I appreciate that, man, because that's that's a real gem there, man. So as you do every time, what book you got for us, man? Man, whew, you I'm got me. <laughs> <laughs> look, this is the book that I'm recommending. And uh, you know, we gotta look, I'm making a request to all of the producers of the uh, Super Duper Podcast. I need a whole book. I need a whole, I got too many books to cover. So I'm going to take the easy way out and say, look, the current new King biography is worth reading. Okay. It's a, it's a, and I'll say this, you know, people know that I knock, you know, the uh, King as an icon and they deify him. And we, every year I know you and I were talking about, you know, yeah, we, yeah. we see him yeah. as a king. Well, this current biography, I think humanizes King in a way which says, guess what? Even if King has, is more flawed than the history books say, 
what I love about King and, uh, and all people who reach those levels is this. If you take in all of my flaws, I'm able to still transform a moment and be great despite the things you know. So new information doesn't change the things that King talked about. It's a book worth reading. It's a yeah. really it's a really great book worth reading. As a historian, I think, okay, we got another King biography. But I picked it up. I read the reviews. I, I saw the author. And it's, you know, it's Jonathan Egg. I think it is the EIG. Yeah. Uh, it's worth it's worth reading, man. Because King, I think there's new information. King, King of Life, is that it? King of Life, yep. And here's the thing. He he the, the best the best takeaway I can say is this. There was a long time where people thought there was this rift between King and Malcolm X. But he actually uncovered that that was actually a, that was a myth that the that the quote the king has often been referred to as showing that there was a rift never occurred. It was made up. That in mm -hmm. fact, when we when he looked at his historical records, he listened to the tapes that Alex Haley and others had recorded with King. He had a King had a very different view, a much more nuanced and generous view about who Malcolm X was. And it was nothing like the public had been led to believe. To me, that's a big contribution to, um, you know, that's a big contribution to how we think about King. Uh, all of his flaws, all of the issues, new information. The I like the fact that, that you know, our leaders can have clay feet and still be great. Like we don't actually, there's no requirement of perfection. There's only requirement of, of trying to perfect. I mean, look, both of us are Baptist boys. We understand how it goes, yeah. all right? We define a brimstone, but a fire and a brimstone don't bring perfection. It brings the intention of perfecting. That's the thing we got to do. And this biography reminds us of that about King, that it's the intention of that. There's nothing that we learn in this biography about King that's going to make us think, oh, now we should take him off the pedal, pedestal. Like, there is no scenario where Dr. King can get canceled by a piece of scholarship, by mm -hmm. a new biography. Yeah. You get a deeper and uh, deeper appreciation for who he is and deeper appreciation for his roots of where his family comes from and all those kind of things. Things that we should, every generation, we, we you know, kind of remember because now we're getting further and further away from King and he's going to be like those statues. There'll be people around who didn't, who wouldn't have actually even known King, just knew of him, wow. right? So yeah. pick up the book, man. And, you know, go out to book. Go to Amazon and you know get your your disc, your thirty percent discount, and <laughs> and put it there. And say King is always worth reading. We don't have to wait till January of Black History Month. We can read them doing uh doing June. You know, it's worth yeah. reading. As always, world, I love you, man. Appreciate you. I love you more, man. Listen, your shirt is coming in blue. <laughs> yes, sir. I went on the pods. All right. Hey, love to you and to the family, to everybody, to all your listeners and, you know, your readers, man. And look, let's do this again sooner rather than later, okay? Absolutely. Y'all heard it. Hey, shout out to world. Appreciate your world. Love you back, man. I'll talk to you soon. Later, man. Bye-bye. We want to thank Dr. Williams for always bringing a good word and always a good book. Remember that he talked about the King biography by Jonathan Eig, E-I-G. So make sure you check that out. And as you know, you mentioned it, three years ago we started this podcast and we started around George Floyd's murder and it kind of changed the tenor of what we do on here on the pod. And, you know, and I will say, you know, I think when we started, we talked a lot about race. Like every other episode was probably about race, right? And not that we've gotten away from it. You and I are not afraid of talking about policy issues, political things, things that happen. But just overall, in general, that it was just talking about race and racism and police brutality and police killings were like, regular conversation now people try to soften it. and dr williams really brought that home just like you know we can't soften our stance on those things because if we stop talking about it it'll never change and again this point about 
we're just getting back to no the normal the normal bias against black people. It was a really uh, great statement. So I hope you guys enjoyed the interview like we did. So again, make sure you follow us on Instagram, S-U-P-A-D-U-P-A-P-O-D. Before we get out of here, one thing I want to just mention is I want to shout out to the Chipmunks because they are officially uh, done with school. And as I got three sixth graders, man. Wow. And uh, yeah, that hit me today that this might be the last summer I have those like bright eyed, uh, you know what I'm saying? Just super smart. Like, you know, the world is so great and safe, you know, kids, right? I can tell I'm, I'm starting to have some, I'm going to have some twins, not in a bad way, but like now it's like, they don't have, they don't need me to, to say goodnight to them anymore. Like they just jumped into bed. Now I was like, Oh, y'all in the bed, you know, no, no good night, daddy. No, nothing. Everybody was just able to sleep. And it's like, okay, I wouldn't, I was, I wasn't offended, but it's like, okay, y'all are big kids. You don't have to, you know, don't even tuck you in anymore. You don't need the kiss goodnight. I'm not sure you still still ask for it, but I can tell this might be the last summer that I have, you know, little kids wanting to lean up, you know, lay under my leg and, you know what I'm saying, lean all on me. But I, I, I feel good because I know all this time, whenever they want to do something, sit something, see something, I've been there. And I don't feel bad if they want to grow up and get their own independence, man, because I feel like that's what the point, that's that's what the point of being a parent is. I see it, and I tell my kids this all the time. It's never easy to say, but I say, you know, dad won't be here all the time. And they look at me like, uh, yes, you are. And it's like, I need you to understand this. I'm not trying to leave you no time soon, but there will be a day I won't be here. So my whole goal is to make sure when that day comes, you're okay. You know what I'm saying? You know what to do, but we've talked about it or you won't be nervous about it. Or you'll say, this is what dad wanted us to do. And, uh, and I encourage every parent out there just to take that approach with your child, right? Just because, you know, we, I, I think the way we parent now, we don't want to be that same parent when they're in their twenties and thirties, right? You know, you got to run up behind them. You want to make sure that they're making their own decisions, but know that they can come to you when they don't understand a thing, right? And I think that's kind of that's that's the next phase. And again, I'm far away from that, right? But I can definitely see, I can see a shift in like Aiden's voice is starting to change. Like he went, "Hey, dad," I went, "Hey, hey, 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 bro, you paying bills <laughs> up here, man?" <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yes. I looked at Chase, looked at Chase. I was like, "Hey, man, the pants look a little snug, son. Look a little young in the ankles. Okay, you getting a little taller." And Brooklyn's just a big girl, man. She uh just looking right at her mom, out of eyes. It's like, what's up? Pepperoni. It's like, okay, every got these big kids. And I think you just got, you know, kids change. I think parenting has to change. Right? We have to evolve with them because the goal is for them to be good quality people who can take care of themselves and ultimately take care of somebody else, right? That's that's the whole, that's the whole point. You got to get them to a point that they get it so well, they can take care of somebody else, but we're never so far from them. Like, as I'm sure you still, I mean, I know I do. I still call my parents, but now it's just more like I can have a conversation about some stuff and they will get, I know they'll give me the truth or I know they'll really, you know, it's stuff maybe I can't share with the a, a random person, right? But I can share with my parents and they can give me some real advice i still got to take care of it yeah. i still got to do it you know what i'm saying but it's like 
it's, it's, it's good to feel like you can take a step back and talk to your parents. Cause here's the thing too, as you know, this, everybody doesn't have that, right? You, you and I, uh, you know, like in our friendship groups, I think we're one of the few who have, who have both of our parents, right. And grew up with both of our parents. Right. And I think, you know, you're like me, you, you, you know, you don't take it for granted. You understand that everybody didn't have this right. and you know what I'm saying? And, 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 it, and it means a lot to have parents who like love each other and love you together. Right. And so, uh, you know, but I, I, I appreciate that again, my parents are who they are and I can still go to them. And that's one thing that I want for my children and what I admire my parents have always done. I was never still a little kid, right? As I grew, they changed. I, it may it took it maybe took an adjustment period, especially with me, me and pops. I had to get the bass on my voice to just like uh to show how I am a man, I will be respected. Can I borrow twenty dollars there? Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> but can I can I can I still get the 20 and your car? Uh, but I will be respected, sir. Uh, <laughs> but I think we, you know, parenting isn't just this singular thing that happens for years, man. So I encourage you, all you parents, just, you know, as you watch your children, as they grow, you grow with them, which means as I got to get these chipmunks a phone or these boys. So I ain't getting Brooke enough phone. I was going to say, man, you, you, you nah. just getting started right here. Yeah, man. I know. I know, fam. It's just, but again, I got, I got to grow. Cause they got friends. You know, I thought about it. Like Chase made a lot of friends do with this play when he was in the play. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Dad, he can't talk to them through the summer. You know what I'm saying? It's like he can't keep up. And I'm sure he could email them, but it was like, you know, if he had a phone, they could just text off something and get ready for school. And I was like, okay, all right, all right. I, I, I can't, I can't, I keep, can't keep looking at you as a little kid that loses your, your shoelaces and forgets your bags because you still do that. But I, still, you are a growing boy. So how do you? I'm, let me just ask you guys yeah. this question. So how do you? How do you manage that? Do you do you get them a smartphone? Is it a yeah? Well, because the thing is, this flip or how? Uh, what... No, I, I probably give them a smartphone just because. Well, what am I doing it for? And also, this is just the world they live in. Like, I, you know, it, it'd be backwards to get them a flip phone because it's like they use the internet to find things, to research right. things. That's you know, to to learn things. It'll just have to be a management com. It's just an, a, a conversation on expectation, and like I was kind of what I'm talking about. The first test in me trusting you, right? All right, you everything else is kind of like I monitor it for you. You turn, you know, this would be like you have to monitor it yourself. And I just figured in my head, I'll probably just say, All right, here's your phone. I'm gonna do random checks. Just 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 I'm you know, I might just knock on the door. You want you know I'm coming over. Yeah, get run running your phone. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so just run your phone. I don't, don't want to hear no, no nothing. Just run the phone. And if I see a bunch of little girls saying wild stuff, thanks. Thanks for the phone. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Good job. But appreciate the appreciate. Appreciate. Run your run your phone. Oh, you're such a man. Hey man, listen, I already said I owe my sons a pass. But uh, you know, but that that's that's what I think. And I'd probably make it, you know, limited to where uh, you know, they can they'll have my 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 number, their mom's number, you know, grandma's auntie, you know, just people that if they got a call, right, they they know who to call. But I think just there's a book, I can't remember the name of it. It's escaping me right now. But it I read a few years ago and it talked about how, you know, when people talking about give your kids that screen time and you know, it's like you have to that's a good point, yes, but you gotta 
understand the worlds in which your children are living in. They're different than what we have. They have access to more people. Like when we get out of school for the summer, like around 11, 12, if they weren't, if they weren't in your neighborhood, you were not seeing these kids until school started. Like you might randomly see somebody, you might have somebody's phone number, but for the most part, you, you, it's like the people on your block was who you was with for the summer and right. then school right back, you saw your people, right? And that, and that's, and that's just how it worked. And now people can be connected with these same friends all over. They, they actually, I would, I would even submit, they make more friends than we did because it's, you know, they can make friends on Roblox. They can make friends with these Nintendo, you know, e-games or playing, make, making a meeting with people again, they're, they're in all these different activities, right? So they just, they're meeting and connecting with people. Like you can meet a, you can meet a little cute girl at some thing you did for a week and you never see her again. You'd be like, I wonder what happened to so-and-so. And you see me in the street like, is that so-and-so from whoever? Right. This is, these kids can keep in touch. And right. all I like to say is we just have to monitor it differently. Like, you know, and also that's the, that's the world they're going to grow up in like tablets and, you know, interconnectivity. They figure out, they figure out this metaverse and make it, you know, the way we operate, they're going to be ahead. So to, to kind of put them to how we grew up is a disservice to them, right? It's like, we you have to, this is what they're going to know. Phones being connected. We just have to be, have the open dialogue about, hey, this is what, this is, you know, with great power comes great responsibility. You yeah. can't be on this thing. And, 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 and you know, my thing's just going to be like a zero tolerance policy. If I hear you on the phone at school, appreciate it. Thanks. I need an extra phone anyway. You know what I'm saying? Like that's, that's just how it's, how it's got to be. But, as I just, I can't contradict myself. They are growing, and I gotta, I gotta treat them. I, I, if I don't give them an opportunity to grow, and if I don't give them an opportunity to make mistakes, they never will. You know what I'm saying? They, they, they never it. will. So that's, that's just something I want to do. Like again, I, I'll just say this one last thing. My parents were very good at, you know, making me and my sister just independent. You know what I'm saying? It was just a lot of things that I think once they kind of figured I could take care of myself, they let me take care of myself. And and, and, and I appreciate the times it was like, you know, maybe I, I was a little late or something. It was like, it was just like, hey, this, this is what happens. You don't, you don't be late next time. And for me, it was like, okay, I don't want to mess up y'all trust, right? It wasn't even like, ooh, I got scared. It's like, you know what? They trust me, right? They they let me do a few things. They trust me, don't want to screw it up. So I, I got to be home midnight. I'll be home at 1130 because I'm, you know, because I'm, because also my mind was, there's going to be a time something's going to happen. At least they'll know. He he always came home early. Like he never lied. Maybe it really was traffic. Really, really wasn't. <laughs> but I knew, I knew I had that in the bank. You know what I'm awful saying? Awful kid, awful kid. <laughs> hey man, we all did it. We all did it. Man, it was, it was a crazy accident. All of the expressway. Yeah. Wait, 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 you talk about that. I, I don't think I really had that type of freedom though. No, until well, see, my parents were nice, man. So it's, it's, it was a little, it was a little different too. So but the thing is, <laughs> but the thing uh, is too, it's like when they, <laughs> when they were nice, the, it was I had to get their car to them. Yeah, by a certain time, by a certain time, so they could they could get to work. Yeah, now, now that was a non-negotiable, man. I remember driving hundred miles an hour, like I'm about to die trying to get to. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'd rather die on the expressway than get to the house and make my mama late for work. Man, shout, <laughs> shout, 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 to Broski. We talked about this the other day. 
but you know, you would have you would have a car while they were at work at night. You know what I'm saying? And we both said the same thing. No matter where, it's like sometimes we just drive to the, to the parking lot of the job and go to sleep. And just like you can wake on, you can knock on the window, wake me up. I'm here with your car. You know what I'm saying? I I, I dare not. My mother would say, "Be I dare you to be late." Oh, and my mother's all of five too, bro. And she meant every bit of that, dog. Just pulled <laughs> up in that parking lot, went to sleep. So I remember one time, I uh, yeah, the one time that happened, my parents were out with my sister somewhere. So I went out, I took the car and I was like, okay, I got to beat them back. And, you know, wasn't thinking anything of it. Pulled up, no cars were there. I was like, Phew. rode to the house. They pulled up like 15 minutes later. <laughs> so that was a big win. Big win Ooh, for big, the night. Big, bro, big win because it would have been cats. <laughs> Man, I mean, that's, a, I mean, that's, I'm telling you, it's it's nothing like thinking, oh, I got it. They're gonna kill me. They're gonna. Kill. I was out again. Shout out to Broski, and it's a deal we used to hang out with a lot when we were in high school. He was like, "Yo, right." I drove to Broski's house, and they, and dude was like, "Ride with me, so and so." So we in the car, dog. We went way up north somewhere, and it's like, fam, what you doing? And we coming back stuck in traffic. I'm thinking like, I'm gonna die because of this dude, like because of this dude. Like I'm gonna die for him. <laughs> Get to my car. You don't just. I'm running lights. I'm just. I just. Put in front of the house. Mom's looking at me like, look at the clock. Like, I mean, I guess you want time. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> you got a police. Like, my, just so you, so you know, the police might stop you. Uh, but you know, I'm here on time. <laughs> uh, but yeah, but all I have to say, man, you know, we got we got to grow with these children, and uh, we have to teach them. How to be independent, man. Uh, you know, I, I just, it, it, because that, that to me, and again, I could be wrong, but, you know, people can debate me, but I, I really believe that that's, that's parenting when we can, when we can look at our kids and see that they can take care of themselves, but we got to trust them. And that's hard. And that's hard to, as like to like trust them to do something because you know, they're going to screw it up. That's the thing. You know, they're going to mess up. Right. But they kind of have to, right. There's no other way to learn. Like nobody ever gets it right the first time. They, I think we as parents we got to give them grace. So you know, I'm, I'm probably just more prepping myself for this, the cell phones, just these big boys I'm about to get. You know, these girls that's about to go start to be calling their phones. Uh, you know, Chase already. I had a couple of young young ladies. He got crushes on. You know, he point he pointed them out. Uh, Aiden has had the same girlfriend for a couple of years, and he says, you know, he probably gonna have her till eighth grade and get him a new one in high school. You know, you know, he seemed like. He, a, wait, did he say that? Yeah, that's what he said. He said, he said, I don't want to put a name out there because uh, for parents, right, 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 right. They might not know. Yeah, yeah, they yeah, may yeah. not know that's how that she got a boyfriend. So I apologize, <laughs> but uh, but he know he got a girlfriend. He told me straight up, and so he was. <laughs> so it was more just like, uh, he's like, Dad, you know, I think she's great. She's beautiful. She's amazing. She's so sweet. I said, Well, son, hey man, if you like it, I'm with it. You know what I'm saying? He, you know, he's matter of fact, Aiden, Aiden don't lie. He ain't, if he says it, it is the truth. Right, Chase every week is a different girl name. You know what I'm saying? It's like, who, what's her name? Is it her? But she, you know, I'm telling all his business. I, I, after the play, so again, started meeting more kids, and uh, I think he in the, before the play, he kind of felt like maybe you know people didn't know who he was. It was overlooking him. You know, Chase was a, he was a smaller guy, so he easily be overlooked. And one of the little girls he had a crush on with, and I'm so I'm at the playgrounds. I guess it's a proud dad moment. So call me a showman's all game. 
and the little girl, little pretty girl, who's a grade ahead of him, goes, hi, Chase. And he turns around like, me? And she comes. <laughs> and so, she's you like, sure? She, yeah, he, he was like, <laughs> me, Chase? He looked around. And then she said, "Come give me a hug." He ran and gave him this big old hug. He, he had to give. He had to hug around her neck because he's small. But I said, "Hey man, get up in there, dog. Go ahead, get you, get, get your hug, man. Get your hug, family. Oh man, that's it's only up. It's only up from here, baby. So, but it's again, it's just it's just happy that you know he found he's meeting people. They're meeting people. But again, it's, I think this is the last time I got I got little kids, man. From here on out, they got some twins, and I'm ready for it, man. You know, I want to make sure they're ready for it as well. So uh, thank you guys again for listening to the Super Duper Pie. really appreciate all your listens. Uh, leave a review, uh, please. And, and again, even if you don't leave a review, if you subscribe, we just appreciate you listening. Ez and I work very hard on this show. Just try to give you some good content every week. We always have a blast doing it. So again, really appreciate you guys. Uh, again, make sure you follow us on Instagram. Follow us online, hp53productions.com for our merch. Uh, and also shout out Cinna Well which to, to our buddy Miles, man. Thinking about you, brother. Uh, hey, so uh, update. He's uh he's working on walking, man. My man. Working on walking. Good news. Good yes, news. Sir. Good news. Yes, good sir. news. Good man. I was keeping him in our thoughts and our prayers for sure. Absolutely. So as I miss anything? No, I think you covered it all. Let's go. Oh, man. Well, God bless you guys. Take care of yourselves and each other. Hey mama, this is the super duper podcast. Pain. That's champagne, real pain, real pain, champagne from you and I. Wait, you a ride? Now that champagne, if you was I, would you be off on this campaign? Is it suicide? If you know that bringing hope is how careers die. Or do the K stand for kamikaze? The J silent is everywhere, you can feel them falling. Sure, lately, I've been up late with what? demons in my basement trying to get me to hate this. What? Life thinking I should be further, and then I choke up. As soon as I got silent, then the truth spoke up. This said, How you know you ain't perfect? Let that soak up and soak in. You know how you know that you're blessed. I woke up.